Pastor. Uh, I uh, feel like I'm, I'm at a family reunion uh, that I haven't been with the family for a long time. A lot of my heritage goes back uh, to Kansas City. I, I think I'm on. I hear myself. I just don't have that booming voice of Kenny Morgan, right? <laughs> Someone said in the hall a moment ago, he, he has a great voice for preaching. And I said, yeah, a radio voice. I've got a radio face. <laughs> He's got a radio voice. Uh, I, uh, I was saved young. Uh, my parents uh, kept me in church as a kid, but really no discipleship whatsoever. Uh, and I was first introduced to discipleship through the ministry of Kansas City Baptist Temple. And I know a lot of your roots go back there. In fact, I guess we could say all of them, really, in a sense. And uh, that's true for me as well. The first time I was introduced to discipleship was through the church in, in Decatur, Alabama, Decatur Baptist Church. Doug Ripley is our pastor there. And uh, Years ago, I mean a long, long, long time ago, uh, before a lot of you were born, uh, the church there made a trip out to Kansas City, met up with, with Bob and, and some of the folks there, and they brought a team to Decatur and and just let me say that changed my life. I am on a total different course today than I was then. I, I worked for a Fortune 500 company at that time, had a degree in electronics technology. I was pursuing a career uh, through a, that NASA contractor and uh, looking forward to, to my life as a field engineer for them and going around the world and, and traveling and working for them. And God radically changed my life through the ministry of biblical discipleship. And uh, that, that went away uh, about 25 years ago. Uh, I, I resigned from my job, uh, I left that career, and uh, I followed the Lord into the ministry. He asked me to, to, to forsake some things to come follow him. And I believe that's true with all of us, right? Right? That's true. If you're going to follow him, you're going to have to forsake the things of this world. Uh, he asked me to give up a career. Uh, he asked me to give up uh, the love of money and making money and prestige in that career and to come follow him. And, you know, uh, as I've done that over the last 25 years in the ministry, the, the thing that I, I, I've seen is sometimes, like, like Mark was saying last night, the direction of your feet, it, it's the direction you're going, right? And, and it's sometimes our feet get turned, I, I've noticed this, they get turned when, when things don't play out like we thought they would. Has it ever happened to you? You know, when, when Kenny talked about the bent toward backsliding. Sometimes that, that, that bent, it's your feet turned in the wrong direction. And, and, and that happens to us at times in our lives when things didn't play out like we expected. And I know when I, I started this, this trek of, of following Christ and, and biblical discipleship and ministry, not everything has played out uh, like I thought it would. Uh, I spent 15 years in, in the ministry in Decatur, Alabama as the youth pastor at the church there. God called me out a few years ago to go as a lead pastor to a church in the Atlanta area. Uh, I, I'll promise you, it's not, <laughs> it, didn't all, it didn't all play out. You know, I remember early on when I first went on staff at the church, you know, I, I worked as a field engineer, and I don't know if you what, know what that's like, but, you know, you go into a, 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 an office of a, a systems administrator, and his system's down. He would stand over my shoulder and tell me all the things he thought of me, uh, and none of them were good, right? He used a lot of words that weren't real positive and told me how much money he was losing every minute. And, you know, when I quit that job, I thought, man, I'm going to go work at the church. And everybody who comes to the church loves Jesus, and they're going to come in singing the Hallelujah Chorus. <laughs> Nobody's ticked off there. <laughs> yeah, not everything plays out, <laughs> right? 
Not everything plays out like maybe you expected. Sometimes when that happens, it, it, it has a, a, a tendency to cause my feet to turn back and, and make me want to think that maybe I ought to go back over there. This is the way I'm, I'm saying it, and it sounds terribly negative this morning, and I, I feared being negative, but, but Trotter taught me that two-thirds of all biblical preaching is negative, and I only got one shot, so the odds were against you. <laughs> what happens when you forsake Christ to go back to your forsaken life? You remember, we, we could look at a lot of examples. I don't, I don't know you. I, I only know two people in the room really well, my wife and myself, and she's more godly than me, so I got nothing to say to her. But I know me, and I, I know I have that propensity. You know, the last couple of years of my life have been a struggle. And there's been times, I've just got to be honest with you, that I look back over my shoulder and thought, man, I wonder, I wonder if that job I left 25 years ago is still open. Oh, I don't know, they feel that thing yet? I might want to go back over there. We, we face discouragement. We face struggles. You know, early on in the discipleship process, it happens. The children of Israel, remember? Remember what happened to them? You know, they, the, the beautiful picture of them coming out and through the shedding of the blood of a lamb, and they, they follow Moses out. But as soon as they get to the Red Sea, and, and there's an obstacle in their way, and Pharaoh's pursuing, what was the first thing they said? Dang, Moses, why did you bring us out here? Couldn't you just left us over there? What happened to their feet? (laughs) Turned back, right? And and then they get across that. God shows up in a big way. And they get across the Red Sea. And then what happens? We we got no food. (laughs) Moses? And their feet. We could have, we remember the flesh pots and the the bread over there in Egypt. Their feet turned back. And then God gives them food. And and then they get sick of the manna. And they they remember the onions and the leeks and all the stuff over in Egypt. They keep looking back there. Every time disappointment comes, they look back that direction. I would say that happens to us too. And it's not just early in the discipleship process. I want us to, to consider the example of a guy who was approaching the end of the discipleship process. He's a guy that I identify with well because he screws up a lot and has to repent a lot. Peter. I want to look at him from John 21 and just talk about some things that maybe we can learn from Peter in John 21 this morning. You know, when you, as you're turning there, I want you to think about all of that, you know, and if you're like me, you've read that story of the Exodus over and over again, and you read about the children of Israel and how that they were constantly wanting to go back, and you think, they were slaves. <laughs> they were under the taskmaster's whip, but... But yet they still wanted to go back there. And you, you think in your mind, how crazy are you people? God has shown up. God has done so many great things. He has proven himself in so many ways. But yet you want to go back there? What is wrong with you? Why would you forsake him to, to go back to that life? And, and Peter is, is kind of the guy who's, who's that way too. He's experienced some incredible things. Obviously, he's walked with Jesus Christ at this point for three and a half years. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's seen Christ in all of his glory. He he walked through the crucifixion, but now he's seen the risen Christ. But yet, even at that, in John 21, we find that things haven't maybe played out like he thought they would. Certainly, he was expecting Jesus to come and and he is the Messiah, but he was looking for a physical kingdom to be established. 
And I'm sure that, that there's some things that he expected that didn't play out like he expected them to play out. And in John 21, uh, he makes a decision to forsake Christ and go back to his forsaken life. And when we do that, there are ramifications. You know, a lot of times we talk about following Christ and, and forsaking my life to follow Christ. Count the cost. So Dad, maybe you'd like to see the converse of that. Let's think about the cost of forsaking Christ and going back to my forsaken life. There is, there is a cost associated with it. So let me, re- let me read a few verses and, and we'll make some comments and, and see if we can learn some things together this morning. Just starting in verse number one, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. Verse two, there were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Canaan in, in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples. And Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. And they say unto him, We also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. I want us to, to think about this. It, it refers to Peter as Simon Peter, the name that he was given at his physical birth and the name that he was given at his spiritual birth. He hasn't lost his identity in Christ, but he's operating in the flesh, for sure. He's not fulfilling God's will for his life. Because remember, and we won't take time to turn to these passages. I think that you're familiar with them. In Mark chapter 1, it's at the Sea of Galilee. And if we were to take time this morning, we would find that the Sea of Tiberias and the Sea of Galilee, it's the same geographic location. It's the same body of water. Jesus shows up and he calls Peter to to come follow him. And Peter makes that commitment. He comes to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says to him, if if you'll follow me, I'm going to make you to become a fisher of men. And because of that, the Bible tells us that what Peter did was he forsook his nets. He, He forsook that occupation of being a fisher of fish, a fisherman of fish, to be a fisherman of men. He makes that decision. He walks away from this occupation of a commercial fisherman to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You continue to read the gospel, and in Luke chapter 5, we would find that, again, it's again the same geographic location, but by a different name, the Lake Gennesaret. And again, we don't have time to talk about he's fishing again through the night, and he's caught nothing. But suffice it to say, Christ comes, and he deals with Peter Peter repents, and and, and Jesus makes him a promise. He says, from this point forward, you're going to catch men. Not just make you to become a fisher of men, but but you're going to catch men. And and at that point, Jesus, excuse me, Peter forsakes all. The Bible specifically says in verse number 11 that he forsook all and he followed Christ. But what happens in John 21 is that Peter's feet have changed directions, haven't they? He was... He had forsook everything. He had left that occupation behind him, the things of this world behind him, and he was moving toward Christ. But in a time when things didn't play out like he expected, we'll see in a minute a time when he's required to wait. His feet end up turned back toward his forsaken life. He's moving in the wrong direction, and that's a dangerous, dangerous thing to have happen in our lives. 
In case we miss it, I want to make sure we understand today. We too have been called to forsake everything. To follow Christ. Jesus was very clear with his disciples. He said, if you won't deny yourself and take up your cross daily, you you can't be my disciple. If you're not willing to lose your life, then you're not going to find life in me. In fact, he says in Luke chapter 14, verse 33, very plainly, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. The calling on Peter's life was no different than the call on our lives. I mean, Christ called on my life to, to leave a profession and a career, very similar to what happened in Peter's life, but, but the calling's no different. You may not leave your career, but the call is the same, right? We forsake all to follow Christ. The children of Israel, when they, when they looked back over their shoulder, they were looking back into slavery, and, and they had a temptation to go back there. You know, many of us forsook the American dream. Right? And the, and the allurement of that is strong in our lives. But what happens when we succumb to that, when we give in to that temptation to forsake Christ, to go back to our forsaken life? I, I want to just pull a few things out of the story that's before us this morning in John 21. First, notice that just quickly he says, after these things, uh, the first few words of Verse number one, after these things, we, it's after the events that have transpired before it. We don't know how long. Certainly, you could say there's a lot of things that have transpired. But most recently, Christ has died on the cross. He was buried. The third day, he rises again. He shows up that day, that same day in the evening with his disciples in the upper room. Thomas is not there. Later, a week later, he shows up again and Thomas is there. So Christ has shown himself, and now this is the third time that he's showing up after his resurrection. And I I don't know how long it's been, but suffice it to say, it's been a passage of time. So they're waiting. Peter is maybe a little disenchanted by the things that have happened. Things haven't played like he expected. And now he's in a period of waiting, and, and he's not sure what the future holds. You ever been there? I remember when God began to deal in my life uh, about leaving the church in Decatur. It's a big church. A lot of people. I had a great ministry there. We're having a reunion this year. It's so awesome to we're gonna get together as a student ministry. Oh, we're going to get back together again and just replaying some of that stuff. And a lot of guys around me who, who love to do my job. And Honestly, life was easy. And that's how what God used to call me out. He called me out by saying, I didn't call you to an easy life. I didn't call you to be comfortable. That's how he moved in my life. But, but when he began to move in my life, I, I ended up in a period of waiting. And things not playing out like I expected. I mean, I had talked to my pastor and was very honest and open with Doug and said, you know, I think this is what God's doing in my life. And, and after a little while, he said, I think we need to tell the church. And I got in front of the church. And I don't know, a lot of you don't understand this because you've never been in church or in ministry. But you don't, you know, that's not something you stand in front of a church and say a lot of times. A lot of churches would just say, yeah, well, there's the door. See ya. But I stood in front of the church and I said, this is what God's doing in my life. God's calling me out and I need to go and, and follow that calling. But for six months... Nothing happened. I'll promise you there was more than a couple of times in that six-month period that I thought, man, I, I might just go back to that secular world. I, 
I might just forsake Christ and go back to my forsaken life. When you're in a period of waiting, there's a temptation to go back. But, but I, what kept me from that and what has kept me from that sense is to understand when you do that, there's a price to pay. Uh, the first thing I want you to notice from the text is that when, when you forsake Christ to go back to your forsaken life, you won't go alone. You won't go alone. There are people who will follow you. I mean, look, look, there's seven of the disciples that are together. One of them says, Peter, I go a fishing, and all the rest jump on board, right? All the rest say, we're, we're going too. Thomas, the guy who had just seen Christ, and he fell before him, and, and his words were, my Lord and, and my Christ, he, he cries out to him, recognizing who he is. Now, so quickly, is turned. And he's following Peter. Certainly, Peter is the leader of the group, and, and he has influence over the others. So what he's doing, others do. And I, I believe that's why the Bible so strongly cautions us about taking on a, a position of leadership. I know that in this fellowship of churches, we're, we're admonishing you, and we're encouraging you, and we're, we're training you, and we're praying for you to step up and take leadership roles. This brother who's passed, uh, planted a church in Ocala. We're calling you out to do those things, but certainly you should count the cost, amen? Uh, the Bible says that you better be cautious. James 3, 1, don't be many masters because you're going to receive the greater condemnation. People are following you. Hebrews tells us that we're going to give an account. I'm going to give an account for my leadership. So certainly as a, as a leader, I should be cautious. But understand something this morning. Whether you have a position or don't, you are leading people. You are leading people. People are watching you. It's as simple as social media, right? You, you throw something out there that identifies you as a believer in Jesus Christ. People identify you as that. And when you throw something out there that's different than that, you just, you just add on to the whole hypocrisy cry. Your neighbors notice what you do on Sunday morning. <laughs> you know, if there's that consistent pattern of week after week after week, the car leaves the driveway and heads out and goes somewhere. The family gets together and gets in a car and goes somewhere on Sunday mornings. People notice that stuff, especially if there begins to be a pattern of the boats getting hooked up on Sunday morning. Oh, yeah, I, I knew it. Oh, yeah. The people that you work with, people are following you. And if you've forsaken all to follow Christ, if you choose, you make the decision to turn your feet back, if you allow that bent of backsliding in your life, you're going to impact others. You will not go it alone. Others will follow you. I'm reading a book right now. It's called Honest Evangelism. And the point is just that we live in the 21st century, folks. We shouldn't be shocked when we attempt to share Christ that we're, we, we meet with resistance, that there's hostility. The, the author of the book tells a story that he received Christ in high school, began to share his faith, and because he was sharing his faith, he was relentlessly abused and, and, and ridiculed and laughed at and mocked. And he talks in the book about how often he had a desire to go back to live life like he used to live it. But he, he, never, he never gave in. Ten years later, he, he, he has the letter in the book 
that he received from one of his classmates who had come to faith in Christ 10 years after high school, but he said, the reason I came to faith in Christ was because I watched your life in high school, and you never quit. No matter what happened, you never went back. And it had such an incredible impact on my life, I couldn't resist the claims of Christ. You may not see the the results right now, but stay faithful because people are watching you. I can't forsake Christ to go back to my forsaken life because I won't go there alone. There are people who are going to follow me. The second thing I want you to notice is not only will I I not go there alone, but it won't be the same. If If you've come to faith in Christ, if you've been born again, you can't go back. Notice verse number three Simon Peter said, then I go a fishing. They said to him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. Let me just stop right there for a second. Notice that. Peter had forsaken his nets and he had forsaken his fishing trade. But when he decides to go back to his forsaken life, notice that the devil is more than happy to accommodate. You may have to wait on the Lord But the devil will provide provision immediately to get you back over there. Immediately the provision was there to go back to that forsaken life. And that night, the Bible says, they caught nothing. Peter's a commercial fisherman. And there's a couple of stories like this. We don't have time to go into all of it. He's a commercial fisherman. He ought to be able to catch fish. He knows how to catch fish. But he, but he catches nothing. Hey, remember that, that Christ has called him. He's forsaken his nets. He's told him that he's going to be a, a fisher of men. He tells him later he's going to catch men. But, but this night, he catches nothing. He doesn't catch fish, and he doesn't catch men. He catches nothing. And I would just like to draw from that that Again, you can't go back to your forsaken life. Uh, Sometimes, you know, we think I can go back and I can live over there and and it'll be like it was. Trust me, it won't. Because you see, old things have passed away and all things have become new. God is now my father. And you know what? He's a good one. He's a good father. And good fathers don't let their children... Destroy their lives. Amen? When you forsake Christ to go back to your forsaken life, you just need to expect... I'm from the South, okay? You need to expect God to take you to the woodshed. Now, you may not understand that analogy, right? But in the South, we had a woodshed because we heated with wood. I know you don't think it gets cold down there. It does. And when you did something wrong, the woodshed was a good place to find a stick to wear you out with. Hebrews chapter 12, powerful passage of scripture. Let's look at it. I don't really know what time we started, Sam, sorry. That's what stinks about inviting preachers. Verse 5 says, you have not forsa- forgotten the exhortation which speaketh to you as unto children. 
He says, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Don't despise God's chastening. Don't disdain it. Don't, don't look down on it. Could, could I suggest to you today that the worst thing that could ever happen to you would be for God to let you have what you want? We just started a study in our church in Romans chapter 1. Read through those first few chapters of Romans. And you'll find that the worst thing that, could, that ever could happen to a man would be for God to give you what you want. But like my brother said a moment ago, want it long enough, and God will let you have it. He'll, he'll let you go, but he's going to chasten you as a believer. There's going to be some pain involved. Uh, that's what he says, for whom the Lord loveth, not, not those that he hates, not those that he despises, but those he loves, he chastens, he scourges every son whom he receiveth. He says, if you, be, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? If you're God's child and, and you decide, I'm going to forsake Christ to go back to my forsaken life, you expect that God is going to correct you. You can't just go back there. Could I, could I say to you today, if you can, and life is fine, I love you today, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. In fact, that's what the very next verse says, if you be without chastisement. We're of, how many? All are partakers. Then are you, good King James Bible word, bastards and not sons. He says, if you can go back there and live there, and God not deal with you, then you're not his. You can't go back. You can't live there anymore. It's not the same. My life has been changed. And if I forsake Christ to go back to my forsaken life, what I'm going to find is it's different now. I can't live with the blessings of God on my life. Peter goes back to attempt to fish, and he can't even catch fish. You won't be able to whatever it was. Because your life is his. He bought it. It belongs to him. So when we forsake Christ to go back to our forsaken life, you, you don't go alone. It, it won't be the same. And verse, verse 5 just tells us that you, you won't have purpose in your life any longer. I love how Jesus asked this question. Notice what he says in verse number 5. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? And they answered him, No. Here? No. I mentioned that I, I lived in North Alabama for a number of years, and we lived right on the, the Tennessee River. And if you understand that part of the country, it's dammed up, so there's lakes. So we lived on, on Wheeler Lake. And so we did a lot of fishing, right? I used to fish tournaments with, with some guys, and, you know, that's, that's a good way to lose your life. Boats that go 100 miles an hour and all take off at the same time. It's a, it's a wonderful experience. But you, you pull up on another guy who's fishing, and, and what would you say to them? Catch anything? How, how are they biting? Jesus didn't ask those questions, did he? In fact, he didn't even say, have you any fish? He said, have you any meat? 
And it might have been lost on those guys, but I doubt it. I don't think so because I picked up on it, and I, I, I bet they did too. If you've been reading the gospel, if you were to start at the beginning of the gospel of John and you're just reading through your Bible, you came across chapter 4. And chapter 4 is an interesting story. Jesus is there with the Samaritan woman and, and he sends his disciples into town, remember, they, to go get some food. And while they're gone, he has this encounter with this Samaritan woman and, and he is communicating to her who he is and, and who she is and the need that that has created in her life. The disciples show back up and they've brought food for him to eat and they ask Jesus, you know, would you, you, you want some of this food? And what does Jesus say? He says, I have meat to eat that you know not of. He said, you guys, you, you don't get it. Can I just say quickly, the evidence that they didn't get it was that they had just come from Sychar, and they told nobody about Jesus. Evidence of that is the Samaritan woman went back there and told them about Jesus, and the Bible says the whole town came. They came back with food. The Samaritan woman came back with the whole town. Right? And can I just say, sometimes we're like that too. The new believers are interested in telling everybody we're not so much. Sorry, that was a commercial. <laughs> back, back to the point. Jesus says, I have meat to the eat that you know not of. And, and then he says what his meat is. Remember what he said it was? My, my meat... It's to do the will of my Father and to finish His work. What was He saying? The thing that sustains me, the thing that, that gives me substance, the thing that, that propels me forward, what's, what's more important to me, what's more necessary for me than, than food is to do God's will and to do God's work. That's what brings fulfillment to my life. That's what sustains me. And as I, in my mind, as Jesus yells from the shore out to the guys on the boat, you guys have gone fishing, and what I hear him saying is, hey guys, how's that working out for you? How's that working out for you? you you've forsaken me to go back to your forsaken life. What, how have you found that to be? Did you find any fulfillment over there? You see, Peter's will was to go fishing for fish. God's will was for him to fish for men. Peter's work was that of a commercial fisherman. God's work was that of a fisher of men. In fact, if you kept reading the Gospel of John, I would suggest you read the Bible that way, all right? Straight through progression. You'd come to chapter 17, and what does Jesus say? Okay, my meat was to finish that work, and then in John 17, as he prays back to the Father before he goes to the cross, what does he say? Check that one off, did it? I finished that work, right? And if you continue to read the prayer, he tells you what that work was, right? It's, it's very clear. It, it was to make him manifest, to make God known to these disciples. It was to take God's words and pour them into the lives of these men, and then to take those men that he had poured God's words into and turn them around and send them to do the same thing. That's the work of the Lord, right? And so what Jesus is, is saying, that, that's my meat. That's what sustains me. And, and, and he calls out to his disciples, and, and I think what he's saying to them is, hey, guys, how's it working out now that you've forsaken me to go back to that life? 
Are you finding any fulfillment there? Jesus is is confronting them. When we forsake Christ to go back to our forsaken life, you you don't go alone. It won't be the same. You won't be fulfilled. And then the last thing is you'll lose your reward. Verse number 4, the morning was now come. Jesus stood on the shore. The disciples knew not it was Jesus. I don't know after these things. I don't know how long. But they don't even recognize him. Indicates to me that there's been a separation in the relationship. Like like Kenny was talking about a few minutes ago. There's a distance there. You know, they maybe they were sprinters. They were... They weren't running the marathon. I don't know. But they don't even recognize who Christ is. Certainly there's the issue of, of him manifesting himself. But, but the morning comes. Don't lose that. They fished all night. And the morning comes. And Jesus is on the shore. And they don't even know it's him. There's going to be a lot of people in the church of Jesus Christ who are born again. But he's going to step out on the shore one day soon. And they're going to be shocked. Because they're not going to know who he is. Not that they've lost their salvation, but there's not a relationship there. Drop down a couple of verses to verse number 7 again. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, and they tell me that's John's way of being humble. <laughs> you get that? I just, Jesus loves me more than the rest. And I tell you that because I'm so humble. Okay, Thanks. He tells Peter, it's the Lord. Now when Simon and Peter heard that it was the Lord, he gird his fisher's coat and broke something. No. <laughs> no, that wasn't it. He gird his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked. You know, there's a lot of discussion about what naked means. It doesn't really matter. What naked means was he was ashamed. Study it in the scriptures, right? Go all the way back to the beginning. We understand. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before sin were naked and not ashamed. After sin, they were ashamed. Go to the end of the book. Revelation chapter 3, when he describes the Laodicean church. One of the things he says about us is we are Naked. Nakedness speaks of shame. And what I would say to all of us today, if my feet are going that direction, if I'm, I'm, I'm looking back toward that forsaken life, I've forsaken Christ. And if I've done that, I've forfeited my reward. I'm going to be ashamed at His appearing. Do you believe he's coming? You believe he's coming soon? Uh, years ago, I used to do this with students all the time. I'd bow your heads, close your eyes, and ask them, you know, how many of you think the Lord's going to be back in the next hundred years? Oh, every hand in the house. You get down to today, and there's not a hand up. 
We all think he's coming soon, just won't be today, so I got a little time. Those days are running out. He's coming. I don't want to be ashamed at his appearing. Do you? 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 tells us to abide in him. Abide in him. What, what, what's he talking about? It's John 15 talks about abide in him, stay connected. He's the vine, we're the branches, and my life is found in him. I've got to stay connected to him because without him, again, as Kenny said a moment ago, I can do nothing. There's nothing of any worth or value or good that comes without me being connected to him. Abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his appearing. Revelation 19 talks about the the judgment seat of Christ, I believe, is the context. And it talks about how the bride has made herself ready. I've, I've had the occasion to do a wedding or two in the last 25 years. Anybody who's been involved in that knows that the bride's usually pretty uh, amped up about what that dress looks like. I have a daughter that turns 20 this weekend. and She watches way too much of Say Yes to the Dress. Why is that such a big deal? And listen, nobody said to her, hey, hey, honey, my wife is here. I should have introduced her at the beginning. I didn't because I'm an idiot. My wife didn't say to her, now, honey, you need to really be thinking about your wedding dress that you're going to wear someday. You need to really you know, work that out in your own mind because it's going to be important. There's just something innate. The dress, the garment on the wedding day, you don't, want to, you don't want to show up there naked, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, the groom... No, let's move on. Can you get that out of your mind? I have totally messed this up, right? Something God puts in us that a bride, how she is adorned, matters and I would say I can't show up that day dressed in fine linen if I forsake Christ to go back to my forsaken life I'm going to be like Peter I'm going to be naked when he shows up you can't occupy the night with something other than what Christ has called you to and not be ashamed when he shows up on the shore in the morning that's the point So what do we do? Again, if you read through the whole text, verse 12, Jesus says to his disciples, come and dine. Come and dine. It sounds simplistic, but I think it's true. It's about a relationship. And I would suggest that that's what these days are about. When I'm tempted to forsake Christ to go back to my forsaken life, I've taken my focus off of him and began to look at the situations and the circumstances of my life. When I do that, 
My tendency is to try to change them. And so I would suggest to us, we have a propensity to do it. Our, our feet have a, a tendency to turn the wrong direction. We, we sometimes end up bent toward backsliding. How do we change that? It's, it's what you've heard already said much better than I can say it. Come and dine. Spend time with Jesus Christ. And listen to me. Forsaking Christ doesn't have to be the big things. Nobody starts out with the big stuff. My, my whole life forsaketh not all that he hath. My whole life belongs to him. It starts out in the little areas. I, I forsake my time with him daily. I forsake to be the witness he's called. We could go through it, right? You know. I love the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. What do we do to avoid forsaking Christ? To go back to our forsaken life? Turn your eyes toward Jesus. Spend time in that relationship with him. Renew that relationship daily with him. I mentioned a moment ago the the children of Israel and you know they're wanting to go back to Egypt and that they were in slavery there. I, I didn't say this, but you do recognize that my life before Christ was slavery as well. The American dream is nothing more than slavery to the wrong God. He delivered me from it. I would be as big a fool to go back to that life as the children of Israel would be to go back under Pharaoh's taskmasters. He's delivered us. Let's stay free. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We're grateful for the time that we have together. Thank you for those that have come here, given of their time and their vacation and their their resources. I, I ask you to give them exactly what they need during these days. Father, may we... As your people, stay true to you. May we constantly be renewing our relationship with you. May we keep our focus and our attention upon you. May we daily dine with you, looking across to your face through your word, allowing your Holy Spirit to fill and to shed our hearts, shed abroad in our hearts your love, that we would walk with you and serve you throughout all the days of our lives. We pray in Christ's name.